Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now let's dive into today's episode. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in today for a conversation that ties right into some of the things that really excite me. Those of you who have read my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, know that it, in addition to being a primer on how to simplify your business and achieve maximum results through minimalism, we spend an entire section of the book on the power of language, neurolinguistic programming, and other forms of communication essentialism to build bridges and deliver your message. It makes sense. In fact, it makes dollars and cents when I want to bring in somebody who can help us with something very unique, which is called the FAST method. Now, FAST is an acronym, and it stands for Facial Acuity Sales Tactics. So now we're dealing with facial stuff, facial intelligence, which is a cousin of neuroscience, neurolinguistic programming, verbals and nonverbals, all those happy things that we get into when we discuss creating connections and influencing others. To guide us through this journey today, we have us with us the creator of the FAST method named Michelle Butt. Michelle, let me just tell you a little bit about her. She holds an honors BA in linguistics from the University of Toronto, is a master coach and a facial intelligence expert. After more than 10 years of studying human communication, creating the facial intelligence body of work, Michelle has come to know a thing or two, and I'm going to say it's more than a thing or two based on the green room conversation that uh, we just had, about how and what drives people to believe in someone else enough to buy from them. She's built an understanding of how coaches, consultants, and mentors need to show up so that critical sales or excuse me, to that crucial sales call, but it is critical to do that, in order to get that yes and truly begin the process of changing someone else's life and their own in the process. If I make a couple of verbal, type, verbal typos here, verbal typos here, see, I, look, I just did it. It's because I recently have moved over to a new machine and I'm getting used to the way the font looks on it. Now, by creating and implementing this fast method that I mentioned, Michelle has helped herself and many other coaches and consultants to use the face of others as the blueprint and catalyst for gaining a client and increasing their business's success and revenue. Michelle has been featured at TEDx Toronto, Reinvention Radio, and OM Times Magazine. All of her research and results have shown that the face is the starting point of any transformational journey and leveraging the information you see in a face is the key to changing the results you are getting in your sales process. Gee, I thought that it just helped me skip the lines at airports, but since <laughs> I don't know when we're really going to be flying again, that may be a moot point. However, in the era of Zooming, for those of you who... Turn your camera on. This is actually more important than ever. And before we bring Michelle on, I want to make up one personal point about this, which I'm actually going to preview and then I'm going to get her thoughts on this because of, and bookmark this, the interruption in the nonverbal exchange flow that comes from viewing somebody over a computer screen versus being face to face with them. Now, Let's go face-to-face, -face, so to speak, with Michelle Butt. Come on in. The weather's fine. Hi, Adam. All right. I just read off your very uh, important official bio there. And based on what I said already, I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. Uh, so what we'd like to do first before we dive in, and I'm really interested in this FAST method, is... Let's discover more about you and your personal journey and what actually has brought you here to serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, making a difference for your community market and audience. I figure I've spoken enough. Let's turn it over to you. 
Well, it's interesting because um, I came here to doing what I do with facial intelligence and facial acuity as a result of just wanting to serve on one hand, wanting to serve my clients better when I started out 10 years ago or 11 years ago as a coach, I was doing, you know, life coaching, transformational kind of work and people were coming to me and we were thinking we solved a problem, but then they'd come back a month or two later and still have the same problem. And I was wondering why we weren't getting to the heart of the matter. So I was looking for another tool. And at the same time in my personal life, I was thinking I need to figure out what I'm missing. You know, you have relationships with people and they're not quite going the way you want them to go. And I'm like, I'm sure there's more information there. People want you to know more about them. How do we find that out? And so by asking the question, I got an answer and one, and that answer was, oh, it's in their face. So um, I found a mentor who was teaching face reading work. And really what we were looking at were the features and markings and wrinkles on someone's face as kind of a record of how they've moved through life as well as the blueprint for how they were designed to do life. So how, what their personality is like, how they make buying decisions, what kind of language resonates most with them just by the nature of the way their features appear on their face. So studying that and then integrating it with linguistics and NLP and body language, that's how facial intelligence came to be. And that's how now I serve entrepreneurs and coaches and consultants to use that information that they see in the faces of their potential clients to build connections that lead to sales or lead to long-term relationships. Does that answer your question? That actually helps a lot. And there's a lot to what you say that I've discovered over the years. I used to believe when I was very young and before I knew a lot about the world that a way you could tell if somebody was uh, speaking from their truth is whether they looked you in the eye. And then there was that, um, and then uh, I w had a temp job at a company that got bought out by its competitor a couple years later, which I still laugh about. And uh, this guy went out of his way to tell me how excited he was to see me the next day after he had already contacted my temp agency to end the assignment. But he looked me in the eye and he <laughs> shook my hand when he did it. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you freaking liar. <laughs> But at the same time, and, and, uh, and listeners of the Business Creators Radio Show know that uh, I've gone on rants where I've used the more virulent version of that word to make a point. But I want us to be in a place of calm today because <laughs> this the reason being is when we get into neuroscience and we get into how we project messages through our verbals and our nonverbals, it's important from my experience to be in a space where there's calm and there's openness so that any point of view that makes sense to you in alignment with your truth can emerge and can stand on its own merits or not. So this is going to be one of those rare cases where I'm actually not going to go on a profane rant. So sorry to disappoint those of you who tune in because you think they're funny, but this is actually a very serious topic. And in this era of communicating via video technology, it's more important than ever. Now, I'd like to begin by defining some terms because, Michelle, you bring us some interesting terms. And the first is, uh, let's start with the more global study of facial intelligence and tell us what that means to you and what it should mean to our listeners. Yeah, facial intelligence really is the study of the features, markings, and wrinkles on the face to understand who someone is and what their journey is like and how to connect and communicate right. with them. So it's like nonverbal intelligence, but it's specifically focusing on the face and the structure, not the expressions per se. That's another level, but where we start is what are those features and markings and wrinkles telling you on the face of them, <laughs> pun intended. Wow. That, that, yeah, that, that's almost a repeat of what you said, and I apologize for creating an environment where I had to be said twice. Um, can you give us some examples of this wrinkle thing? Because I'm really intrigued by that, because I've seen all kinds of wrinkled faces that are wrinkled in different ways. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, wrinkles are the remnants of expressions that we make repeatedly over time. So yes, they show up as we age, but that's partly because we have spent so much time, so much more time making the same expression. So if you think about it, if you look in the mirror and you make a concentration face, then you tend to wrinkle your eyebrows and there's a little divot there. So over time, those Um, expressions that we consistently make can become wrinkles. And yes, we lose collagen and stuff. And so that's why they tend to be more pronounced. But that wrinkle has information about what that expression means based on where it's marking. So each area of the face has some meaning in terms of a personality aspect or an emotional set point or a way of thinking. And so where and how wrinkles show up can give you information about what kind of general space that person is in. And that from a, you know, a business perspective can let you know, oh, okay, there are lack lines showing up on that person's face. So potentially money or not enoughness is a concern for them. So I'm going to need to make sure that when I'm pitching my offer to them that I take that into account because they have a tendency to have this underlying emotional pattern going on about lack and not enoughness and all of that kind of. Wow. Mm -hmm. So we can, so can we also identify things like bright, shiny object thinking by wrinkles? Bright, shiny object thinking might not necessarily be from wrinkles. That might be by, you would get that from a combination of features. So in facial intelligence, there are five kind of overarching archetypes or personality types that certain combinations of features tell you what archetypal nature someone may have. And we can have more than one, but for the most part, most of us fall between one or two strongly in the combinations of features that show up on our face. So for example, people who tend to have bright, shiny object features are people who, for the most part, are what we call in facial intelligence captivators. So they tend to have sparkly eyes, dimples, freckles, red hair, They're, they love the newness, they love to be thinking of a thousand things at once. And so if something, you know, they have a shorter attention span. So uh-huh. knowing, so when you can see someone's face, and they tend to have a number of those types of features, then you're like, okay, I better be quick about what I'm saying here, or I better give them lots of things to think about. Because if I take too long, I'm going to lose them, they're on to the next thing. Right. Yeah, so can you briefly, just so that we have points of conversation to jump off on, tell me about these five archetypes. That's really intriguing to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So in facial intelligence, there are five. So one is the sage. And so sages tend to have uh, strong chins, domed foreheads, natural shadowing under their eyes. And so those are people who tend to be more intuitive, more deep thinkers. They're the creatives of the world. And they tend to go with the flow more than uh, like structure. Okay. Um, then the next archetype is the warrior. So these are people with very chiseled features, strong, thick eyebrows, strong jaw lines, but well-defined jaws. And these are people who are the action takers, the doers. They need a plan. They have step-by-step. They're the ones who are going to be the drill sergeant kind of people. So, you know, time is money for them. Yeah. I just saw, I just saw Clint Eastwood when we were describing that. (laughs) Not not only, not only in some of his most iconic characters, but also just in how he is as a man and as a human being and the anecdotes mm. you hear about his style as a movie director and as an actor a lot of those traits continue to come up in the stories yeah and they tend to talk in very clipped you know sentences and yeah. so you can even understand the cadence someone who's a sage you know think james earl jones they have that melodic deep radio voice you know yeah so, yeah, yeah. James earl jones morgan freeman would be another yes, example and yes. uh when you said when you said the shading under the eyes uh one of the things we in- immediately think about when we see morgan freeman's face is he has a lot of definition under his eyes 
Yes, yes. And if it's natural, so it's always there, then that's characteristic of a sage personality. If yeah. it's not always there, then that's an underlying potential emotional or health issue. And that's another area of facial intelligence that you can look at. But um, so what you're looking for is, oh, do they have other features that contribute to sage? Or is this another thing that's going on? So the yeah. face has so much information. Um, then we have the captivator. So I described that, you know, think uh, like Reba McIntyre kind of thing, red hair, yeah. curly hair, you know, the, in the spotlight, really funny, you know, kind of, um, they're the entertainers. So tech, normally captivators can be very good salespeople because they're really good at schmoozing and getting attention. And usually they're really good in the face-to-face. -face. And sometimes they struggle in this new online world that we're in because they can't make that uh, connection that you alluded to with the the nonverbals in close proximity that we don't have any yeah. right now in this world when you did your introduction. Right. Um, then we have the nurturers. So these are people with full round features, full mouths, full just round faces, full cheeks. So as the name implies, these are the nurturers. These are the people that have that mother energy they kind of want to feed you they might lack a little bit of self-confidence if you're meeting over a meal or you have a coffee when you're on zoom they're going to be most receptive to that um, so these are the people who really want to take care of other people and that's kind of their their mission all right so that's four and then, yep and then lastly we have the royal so the royal is someone with a very uh pronounced or well-defined nose so it can be um a bigger nose, so either sticking out from the face or width-wise. Um, someone with very fine features, they tend to have high eyebrows, so lots of space between the eyebrow and the actual eye. So this is uh, very refined, perfectionistic, uh, really detail-oriented. These are your editors and your fact-checkers and your um, you know people who know where every dollar and dime go. But in terms of you know, if you want a, a role model or a picture, you would think like Meryl Streep kind of. Okay. That kind of uh, presence, that would be a royal. Yeah, and uh, if anybody's seen The Devil Wears Prada, I mean, uh, exactly. it kind of yeah. comes out pretty, uh, pretty clearly through that particular Absolutely. role. Yeah, yes. I haven't I haven't even seen that movie, but just uh, from viewing uh, previews of it and seeing some of the imagery about it that shows up on the internet, uh, candidly, it's I'll tell you right now, it's not even a film that is really intrigued me as being something I want to watch for reasons of my own. Not that it's bad or anything, <laughs> just not my cup of tea. But I bring that up just to show how easy it is for folks when they understand the archetypes to be able to begin identifying what archetype a person may have as their dominant archetype based on understanding these things about their faces and these things about uh, how they're constructed. And if you study people over time, like if you have somebody who's elderly and you have a trace of their photographs that, that, that have been taken of them over the years, you notice that even though the face does retain its essential characteristics in most cases, unless you have plastic surgery intervention, uh, there will be a change in their visage and a change in how certain things are positioned over time that, from what I'm hearing from you, can be influenced by their experiences in life. Absolutely. So by their life experience and by the people that they are around. So, you know, the thought patterns, the emotional patterns that they are exposed to will create responses in them that will show up in the framework of their face because the face is really that record of here's my story that we give to everybody else unknowingly or knowingly yeah. so that people can understand us. So even sometimes you'll see that couples tend to look alike and you know, when you spend so much time with someone and you have similar thought patterns, similar emotional experiences, then your your face can shape itself into records of those experiences that mirror each other. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as we continue to have this conversation, I continue to see faces of people who I've been following for a long time, who are newsworthy, who we see on television almost every day. And it makes me think of 
you know how they say with the United States presidents that uh, they, you know, once they become president, they begin aging at approximately twice the rate of an average person? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So if, you know, if this is okay with you, and if it's not, that's fine. I'd like to take a look and be fair and balanced about this for our listeners, because we have listeners from across the spectrum, and I want to be respectful of everybody's viewpoints. I want to point out two diametric opposites, and I want to get your thoughts on the evolution of their faces over time, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. All right, let's move from left to right like we uh, do when we take steps down, uh, steps along the sidewalk. Let's start with our former president, Barack Obama, who transformed significantly over the time of his term in office. What does is, what is his transformation tell you? Yeah, you know, uh, the key transformation for Obama, um, and you can, even if you Google him and images, you will see that one of the expressions that he tended to make quite often was where he would uh, press his lips together. And, um, and that's a, a place where we can tend to hold stress. So he will, and by the end of his presidency, you would have noticed that there would be more wrinkling around that area of his face. Yeah. And so for him, that was about, you know, the mouth is that part of that nurture uh, archetype. So it yeah. was very much about feeling like he had this responsibility to take care of the nation, but also then to be supported back. And so it's about self-care and it's about feeling how supported you were. And, um, you know, there was times potentially in his presidency where he might not have felt as supported by the people that he was trying to support. And then that would bring that tension in the mouth area because that is the area where he's trying to do initiatives that were supposed to be for the people and that he really wanted to be well-received potentially. Like health is a nurturing kind of, um, you know, energetically nurturing uh, endeavor. And so that's where we saw the biggest change with him, I think, was feeling like he had a responsibility for a family of the nation and having stress around that. And whether that meant that he wasn't exercising enough self-care because the mouth is around self-care or yeah. that he didn't feel as supported or it was too big of a burden supporting, that was the biggest change that we could notice in his face. Yeah, there is a big difference between um, Senator Obama in 2006 when he first uh, began attracting attention as a possible presidential candidate versus the Obama who ended his presidency in 2017. I mean, uh, and now that you point that out, yeah, if you think if you see if you think about what he looks like today, aside from the fact that his hair has turned gray, which is not unusual seeing as he went from his mid 40s to his late 50s within that time frame uh most people go through that transformation there is a lot more in the mouth than there was uh, he had a very to me smooth face back in the knots yeah. but uh now here uh but or i think that's what you called 2000 to 2009 i can't remember but yeah uh, yeah he has very 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 noticeable curved lines on the sides of his lips today mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and yeah and you can yeah. see the uh, when you, you know, refer to the pressing of the lips the um you know the the uh, the attempt to care and the attempt to support which makes a lot of sense and you read some things from accounts of how he works as an executive and how he works in teams and things like that a theme that comes up over and over again is is him getting highly annoyed when people drone on yeah. Well, and that's partly because for the most part, archetypally, he's a warrior face. Yeah. You know, strong jaws, strong eyebrows. So it's very much get to the point. We've got work to do. Let's go. And but it's a methodical also type of action. And I think yeah. that, you know, that was part of it. Things do not move as fast as you would like them to in government. And that might have also contributed to some of the stress and that showed up in that mouth area for him. And this is where we say how wrinkles and changes in the face is significant about to show life experience because in the presidency, he made that expression more times than he probably would have in a regular job. And so that will accelerate the, um, the aging, for lack of a better word, process in that face, in that area of his face. Okay, great, great, great. Now, I think, you, I think you know who the other person I want you to look at is. Is that her, your, your current president? Go for it. 
Tell, tell, tell us about Trump and what I want to bring up about him, and this is where he may be, there, it may be a different analysis from Obama, is when Obama came to the presidency, he was a relatively young man. He was, I, I have this written down somewhere, he was either our fourth or our fifth youngest president to take office. He's way, way, way on the younger end of the continuum. And he came to the presidency at a point where his career was really just reaching its peak. Now with Trump, you have one hell of a journey before he reached the presidency and a lot of events in his life. In fact, uh, if you're looking at statistics on age of presidents, he is, if you're saying this absolutely factually, the oldest president to ever take office for the first time. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he has a story that we all know about because it's been in the media for 40 years. Yes, yes. So what does and he tell us? Well, the thing is, is that Donald Trump has a warrior face to some degree as well, but yeah. it's different. Um, he has a more pronounced chin and um, he has some, uh, if you take a look at him from profile, his jaw isn't as defined as um, Obama's. So he is yeah. more of a combination of warrior sage and even a little bit of the captivator in there. And so yeah. having more of a combination face, that chin especially is very indicative of uh, strong will and this pushing through. So I think, you know, Donald Trump started with a desire to win because his warrior is like, he's a yes. winner, I'm going to win. Yep. And I don't care how I do it, I'm going to win. And then in the beginning, he got the job and it was almost like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> because yeah. it was all about winning. And then, then what do I do? And so his strong chin is very willful, but there's uh, there's an intuitiveness to the sage, which would potentially have made him such a good businessman. Yeah. But there's also an, a bit of arrogance to that as well, because sure. a sage that's out of balance has, has a complex where they think they know everything because they have, they're very intelligent. And so there's, you get this brilliance in the terms of the mind of a man who has built a business and has done some potentially really good things in terms of he was just no, nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, very good yeah. at looking at the business of things and saying, okay, how do we move this forward? But not so good at being liked because again, it's like, I don't have time for that. We have a yeah. thing to do. We're going to get to this thing. And uh, a really strong warrior is not concerned about how people feel. They're concerned about the mission and getting something done. So he's not as touchy feely yeah. and he does not have the full lips that Obama had, which made him more warm in terms of the way that he directed himself. Um, but the biggest change I've noticed in uh, Donald Trump's face has been in his under eye area that is white. <laughs> yes. That is normally, and you know, that area in the face in facial intelligence is called um, unshed tears. And it's all about when it's out of balance, holding on to emotions and not letting things out and feeling potentially emotionally exhausted. And so, yeah. you know, for someone who is so unliked and has some captivator in, uh, you know, he does, even though he's got small eyes, there's some sparkliness to them and, um, you know, even in his complexion outside of the tan, it's, yeah. there is some captivator nature to him and the captivator does deep down want to be liked, want to be loved. And so the fact that he is so hated, even though he's trying to do things that might be economically good for the country or, but people can't see because of the way that he just conducts himself, that you can see that emotional toll in that under eye area. That's... I've never heard anything like that before. So this is educational to me. Uh, I've, I've, I, and I've read various uh, theories about where his skin tone comes from. And I tend to believe that he uses a tanning bed. And when I see the whiteness under the eyes, that would be consistent with wearing goggles. Uh, but to look at it from the facial acuity perspective, uh, and you look at his life story, you can see that there's a repeated pattern of sort of a seesaw effect between wanting to be accepted and at the same time gaining power from not being accepted. Like, I am not that, so therefore I am. 
Exactly. So there's this dichotomy where it's like, oh, I wish you would like me because I really want the praise. But if you don't, then too bad, because I'm just going to do what I'm going to do anyway, because we got to win this. And that's yeah. kind of so, um, you know, and, and the emotional yeah. toll that that takes shows up in his under eyes. And, you know, regardless yeah. of whether or not he does use a tanning bed, he's been doing that for the whole time. Yeah. Uh, for a number of years and that you know the discoloration under his eyes has gotten pr more pronounced and so it's 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 noticeable from um from a facial intelligence perspective because it's it's changed and it if it was consistent then we'd be like okay that's just the way he is it's like yeah. uh, you know like a morgan freeman but it's not consistent for him the white and the 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 white whiteness of it really is frozen stuck emotional stuff that, um, you know, he's had to bury because yeah. don't have time uh, to deal with it. Well, and if you, I mean, if you look, if you look at his, uh, and then also if you look at his life history, uh, there is also repeated theme of him being in situations where he had to conceal what he really thought. You can see some of that in his upbringing. Um, I think his, I think his family meant well by him, and there was all, but there was also a case where some extremely high expectations were put on him from a very early age, and then mm -hmm. uh, and then they sent him off to the military academy. And if you read the stories about uh, what life was like at that particular academy, there were also some undertones and some themes that go along with suppression of self. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and. Um you know, even if you notice the way he stands at a podium and he, and he tends to pout often, it's, it's that, you know, please look at me, feed me something, yeah. uh, you know, like he's looking for some kind of, uh, some kind of attention or recognition that, um, you know, and he does that more often now, if you watch him than he did at the beginning of his presidency in when when you see him standing and the way he 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 tends to like put one shoulder forward and pout and he does that even more now than before so there's that body language aspect uh -huh. that goes in line with you know that's the feature that he's showing you like saying i don't i'm i don't have enough here i don't have enough self-care or i don't have enough uh, recognition or i don't have enough yeah, I can, and I can relate to some of those teams personally. So I, uh, in my own experience, so I, I, I get it. And uh, I think in, you know, just to, to close this piece of the conversation, I think that also being president, uh, you know, once again, we're coming back to the theme where um, he sometimes has to suppress what he actually feels and that he's being called upon to play a role that in some ways just isn't, isn't natural to him to the point where he brings it up when he gives political speeches, when he does the routine about, well, they want me to be presidential. And then he does a, an impression of what a proper president would sound like. Then he switches back to his natural self. So when he has to do uh, the speeches in the White House on certain topics where he can't really be the natural level of expression that he brings out, uh, that weighs on him and it goes back to that recurring theme throughout his, well, this point, very long life. Yes. That's what I yes. get out of it, about what you yeah. said. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is with warriors or with any archetype, they have a spectrum that they live within that allows them to do what they do best. So, yeah. you know, in term with, with President Obama, it was, okay, efficiency uh, and what... So he kind of wore the same suit all the time. Yeah. that story, so that he didn't have to make another decision. Right. And, you know, and Donald Trump tends to be like, "Well, I'm not going to care about how you feel. I'm just going to do the decision." And so yeah. he, and so it's not about how he, what he wears. He's eliminating trying to be nice and trying to do the cordial things because that doesn't get the work done, and yeah. uh, and potentially that hasn't served him because people don't see that as very presidential they see it as you know cutthroat business person yeah. but you know whether or not that eventually will be good for the country is is up to americans to decide and for you know history to show us later yeah. on or for the future well, to show us but yeah. but they choose their efficiencies right and so yeah. um and so there's a spectrum of what 
serves people and we kind of see that in his behavior and his face what he's chosen and we see that from uh what president obama had chosen yeah and I think, I think there's something else, too, and we can move beyond those two presidents and we can look at all 44 of them, is regardless of their intentions, when they ran for president, they chose to take that on and they got elected and became president, they found out that there was a huge gap between what they thought they were going to be able to do and what they were actually going to be able to do within the system that they were now moving into. Absolutely. Look at a pre- Absolutely. look at a pre- look at a president's lifestyle. I mean, if they uh, like you and I, we have the freedom right now. We're going to be here for about another half hour. Either one of us, at the end of this half hour, can say, "All right, we're going to shut down the computer. We're going to go down to our favorite restaurant and have a dinner." President Absolutely. can't do that. They uh, even if they have food brought in from outside, it has to be tested and go through the White House kitchen. Uh, that's one thing. Um, another is. They live in a space where they have very limited control over what they do with it. Aside from changing the wallpaper and possibly the carpets, they cannot remodel the executive residence. They cannot remodel Camp David because other people make the decision about what their living space is going to be like. Exactly. Yeah. So you take those very small things that most people have the freedom to change just within the range of their resources, and you put somebody who is in a role that takes a lot of dynamism to get into in the first place, and you take away control over some of their basic low-level hierarchy of needs issues, and that in itself can create a very interesting storm in the mind is what I've come up with over years of studying this stuff. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, yeah. different faces will show what they need, and a face that is has a lot of sage in it they for downtime they need to be alone they need you know quiet to recoup and if you're always with people and people are always around you you're not going to get that to yeah to rest and so um you know again that could be also why we see those the shadowing showing up because there is no downtime there's no rest there's no alone with your thoughts yeah that was, a, that was a struggle for Obama, who has a very introverted personality, a very classic introvert personality, if you really wanted to go down the points of it. And if you look at some of the articles about his daily routine while he was president, you see his attempts and efforts to schedule activities that allowed him to be alone. And just within that trajectory, you see the times that he was able to come up with where he could be completely alone were very limited and were, in some cases, unnatural to the human condition. But that's what he had to do to get some of that opportunity to be by himself to recharge and allow his brain to work. Yes. And those are the and those are the introvert side of the personality. You know that even comes down to you can't be around your kids all the time because they'll drive you nuts. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he had two teenagers in the White House. So just imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for being willing to go down that road. And I trust that our listeners are going to find that very instructive. And I want to be clear, we're not taking any partisan positions here. This was, um, this was a scientific analysis based on uh, facial intelligence and facial acuity. Uh, so I want our listeners to view that through that lens and have the equipment because whether you love, hate, like, dislike one or the other, it can help you understand them better. Absolutely. And yeah. their, you know, their faces have similarities to faces of potential clients or people that you might deal with and, you know, seeing certain things you can give you now another understanding of how that person, why that person does or says the things that they do and how to talk to them or relate Great. to them. Yeah. All right. So we're, uh, we have about 20 minutes left and I really want to get into the fast method. So tell us about that. Yeah. So that's fast method really is about honing your facial acuity skills. So learning how to uh, look at features and markings on a face so that you can understand how to use the information you're getting to to change up your typical sales pitch so that it is uniquely designed for the person that's in front of you. And, you know, especially in today's world where we're doing a lot of things on Zoom, 
uh, fast really teaches people how to hone their observation skills because we allow a certain level of distractedness in online, even video chats that we don't normally allow when we're face to face. Yeah. You know, if I'm checking my another screen while I'm doing a Zoom call with you, there's there's some part of you that's like, oh, it's okay because we're this is we're on the computer, but yeah. you lose things, and um, really, especially here in this day and age to be more observant of that person that you're seeing across the screen can really help you build that connection with them that you might not have been able to build otherwise unless you were face-to-face. -face. Yeah, I when we first started the Business Creators Radio Show, there were a few episodes within the first year that were actually filmed in video. I found that that was highly uncomfortable for me for a few reasons. The big one is basically what you just said. Uh, if, if we were doing a video conversation, I would be expected to, um, I'd be expected to uh, comply with some of the expectations that a media journalist on a television news program would do, where I sit with my shoulders a certain way, and if I'm wearing a jacket, I sit on the tail so the shoulders line up and look directly into the lens. And that doesn't serve me when I'm frequently looking back and forth between notes, uh, when I'm processing some things on my own and sometimes I stand up and walk around my uh, my headset has a 15 foot cord on it for that reason so I can move around in fact I've stood up and walked back and forth a couple times during our conversation and uh, when I you know think of something like an article or something I might be opening a separate tab and opening that up because there's one I do want to run by you here in a moment uh, so yeah. those things just aren't conducive to that that whole modality no, and the thing is, the you know, and there's a there's there's a time and place to be a little bit distracted. But when you're trying to close a sale, you want to show that you're as present as possible. But you also want that other person to be as present as possible. And if they don't think that you get them or that you're really using language and noticing things about them, then they're going to be distracted as well. Right. And, you know, the other part about this work is that sometimes people just don't like to do video calls. So say your potential client doesn't turn on their video. Yeah. You can uh, look, I always do research beforehand. And so I, you, everyone has a photo on LinkedIn or Facebook or on their website or somewhere. Right. So you can pull up a photo of that person ahead of time and look at their features and see, oh, okay, I can understand what potential archetype they are, or I see what shape their eyebrows are. So I need to know how to position the um, things so that I'm, I'm in their buyer language. And so you can do the work ahead of time and that person still feels like you're showing up authentically. It's not like you're handing them a personality test and saying, Hey, fill this out and then I'll know how to talk to you. And um, then we'll be on the same page. It's, it's very much more fluid and organic and that can build a relationship that you might not have been able to do if you just, hopped on a blind call with a new lead that signed up on your, from your, you know, offer page and yeah. you don't know anything about them. So it's always, this work allows you to do research that will give you insight into how their mind is going to work and not just the things they're telling you, the things their face is showing you. And that makes all the difference in the world. Two other things come to mind. Uh, if you're able to access some of their personal social media, depending on their privacy settings, you may be able to find candid photos of them going about their life that can provide some of the insights you described. If they've been in business for a while and they've had any sort of online presence, which actually applies to most people these days, you might find something that approximates a progression of headshots over the years that can reveal some of the evolutionary changes that can provide clues as to what they've been through. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, that'll give you some insight into their journey. And ideally, if you're on the video call for that sales call, then you'll see the dynamics of the way their face moves and the expressions they make that will let you know, oh, that's the part of their personality they're accessing right now. Or, you know, for example, if they wrinkle their eyebrows when you 
give them a selling point or they wrinkle their chin, those two places in the face mean very different things in terms of what that objection is. And yeah. so when you can recognize what those two things mean, then you're like, oh, okay. So you're not going to say to the person who's wrinkling their eyebrows, oh, well, does this not feel good to you? Are you intuitively not gelling with this? That's what you might say to the person who wrinkles their chin because that's about intuition and pushing. Yeah. And um, you say that to the eyebrow person and you've lost them. They're like, no, this isn't making sense. You haven't given me enough of the steps. I need to know the strategy. And, um, and, and most, if you don't have that level of facial acuity, then you don't know that. And then you might do all your overcoming objection techniques in air quotes and uh, still lose the sale and wonder why, but it's just because you didn't use the right language, even though you yeah. had the right, the right tool to overcome the objection and where that's subtle. And that's what I think we don't realize is that people are that subtle, that complex, but also that easy to understand and um, resonate with. And when you know, then your conversations and your connections are very different. Yeah. Uh, there's an article that I saw. Um, it's on introvertbeard.com. And the title of it is why Zoom calls are so draining for introverts. And, I, and regardless, I think it goes beyond introverts. I think it goes a lot into the human condition, as a matter of fact. And what the, the article really deals with is Zoom fatigue, or as we have been hearing more and more, being Zoomed out. Especially in this world where even as, uh, to a degree, things are opening up again, you still see a lot more being done over videos. So here's some of the challenges that the article brings up is, let's say that we, you and I were doing a video conversation. I'd see your face, you'd see my face. But what you also, but what we would miss of each other is you might not see what we're doing with our hands, what we're doing with our arms, or what we're doing with our legs. And so you miss out on some of those emotional cues and some of those nonverbals uh, that you now are trying to process simply by looking at their face or looking at their facial expressions. And I don't think that this is going to sound unusual to a lot of our listeners when I say a lot of us look really weird on Zoom. It's like yeah. we look at that person, we say, that's not me. What the <laughs> hell? Can I get a good camera? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's true. There's lighting issues and things like that. But I think also on Zoom, there's, there's, we don't get the um, we don't get the energetics that we get in uh, when you're face to face. So if someone is kind of zoning out when you're face to face, there's a shift in the in the spatial yeah. energy between you. I got that you. You can't necessarily feel on Zoom. The other thing is that people, most people tend to have the idea, especially these days, is that, oh, Zoom's just for casual and that's fine. But it's okay if you do that with a nurturer because they're all about comfy cozy. But you sit in front of a Zoom screen in uh, a sweatshirt in front of a royal they're not going to resonate with you. And you might not feel that at all because you're not going to feel them, uh, that iciness that you would in a face-to-face -face interaction. But they would expect you to show up with hair done and shaven or makeup done or, you know, a decent shirt on because they have real standards. And so you can still understand these things, but there's this Zoom etiquette that we aren't... Um, that is a very low kind of etiquette that we've kind of, we've allowed ourselves to be in because it's oh it's post pandemic and it's okay just whereas if you were having the choice to work from home or go into the office and you did a zoom call you would be on a zoom call like you would be in the office and yeah. um i think that is potentially why it feels draining because we don't get the same kind of response and we don't get the same kind of energetic feedback that we would, positive or negative, in face-to-face um, in -face that we can de then adjust to. And so that's why facial acuity, when you can see those things or you can know who you're sitting in front of, so how to present yourself so that those adjustments um, 
are made more naturally or you don't feel like, oh, I never totally gelled with that person at all. And that yeah. can be draining as well because as humans, we want to connect fully and authentically. And if it's off, we will be off when we get off that call. Yeah, I think part of what you shared is not only an analysis of the challenges, but also how to overcome some of those. One thing that latched on to me is like, let's say I was speaking with somebody who uh, has the royal archetype, then, okay, yeah, I got to put on a shirt and a jacket. Now I'm sitting out here, you, you know, some of our listeners probably heard that there was a beeping from a garbage truck about 10 minutes ago, I'm not sure how good my noise cancellation is. You might've heard that. And you also might, yep, there it is again, if you heard it, it just happened. Uh, and you also might've heard that I went inside my apartment for five minutes and then came back out again. You might've heard the sliding door. You might've heard the changes in the ambient noises. So these are things that we naturally do when we're at home. Uh, now, if I have a, a royal archetype, then I'm going to have to sit in my home office. I'm going to have to put on a shirt. I probably would really help if I put on one of my jackets just to, uh, to create that sort of in the office type feel. And at that point, it becomes a, a question of how authentic is this going to be? Because I'm naturally a person that doesn't do that. And or is this relationship going to be okay once we begin working together on a client resource basis, regardless of which direction that goes? And they find out that I'm really not a person who puts on a jacket just to sit at home. Well, you know, and that's the thing. It, it, it depends on what your intention is. If you want to close a sale and you know that that person is one of your ideal clients, then in that initial call, you're going to, show them that you are the person for them. So you're going to show up the way they need you to show up in order to have confidence enough in you to give you that five, ten, twenty thousand $20,000, whatever it is that you're yeah. asking for. But after that, then you can set the parameters. But on those initial sales calls, most of the time we haven't had a number of conversations to start to get to know people enough where you can down downgrade the level of, um, uh, you know, of stuffiness or whatever that is that that person yeah. needs you after you, they establish that, yes, this is the person for me because the things that you are going to offer them resonate and they feel like you understand them. Then you might say, you know what, going forward, are you okay? If we have more casual conversations, um, you know, I will always be on time because for a Royal being on time is really important, respecting their time. Yep, that's important I'll, for me too. Yeah, I'll always be on time, but I might not be in a suit and jacket. Are you okay with that? Um, would you like to show up more casually? Or do you, uh, does the formality help you to move forward more? And if they say, no, I really like that. I feel that it, it then, you know what, if that's, if the price that that person is going to pay for what it is you're going to offer them is worth once a week showing up with a jacket on, then that's for you to decide. But yeah. Um, you know, but you can also ask then, but we make assumptions beforehand that people are going to be okay. And if you look at their face, they will tell you what level of intimacy or formality or not that they'll be okay with on that right. first call. And then after you can establish a game plan that works for both people. Oh, I see. So, so let's take that exact scenario and let's create a worst case version of it. And what I'm hearing the worst case is, all right, I got somebody paying me $25,000. I can suck it up and put on a jacket one hour a week. Potentially, it, yes. Yeah. Especially if you know that you're going to help them and that in all other aspects, they're going to be a client that you want to work with. If yeah. you're going to be a pain in the butt kind of client, then you might not want to do that. But if yeah. ideally what it is that you're going to be serving them with excites you and you know you can help them and they are uh, right there with you, the way you're showing up for them, then why not, if you are someone who wants to help someone else move forward, why not continue to show up the way they need you to, not the way you want to? Because, yeah. you know, especially if you're a coach, you want to move people forward. And part of that is stepping into their world and showing them how you can move them through that. And potentially their issue might be they are too, uh, too rigid. And by slowly, um, peeling back the rigid layers, you might be able to get them to lighten up. And then, yeah. uh, you know, so it's all about meeting that client where they are 
especially online, because that will establish the intimacy that you need in order to prove that you can, you can guide them because we don't have the opportunity to do that face-to-face -face anymore. And even face-to-face, -face, you need to do it. But again, there's energetics in the space of face-to-face -face that we don't have online that we have to compensate with, with other skills. And that's where facial acuity really helps. Okay. That's, that all makes a lot of sense. Uh, we have a couple minutes left here. Just one other thing I want to introduce um, that really struck me from that article on introvert gear, uh, which again, for our listeners is called why zoom calls are so draining for introverts is the idea of silence. Now, if you and I were sitting physically in the same place as each other and we were sitting across from each other or next to each other and we were having a drawn out conversation, it's natural that we may have some silences between us. And some of the nonverbals that can come up from the overall environment, seeing our entire bodies and things like that, uh, will help. In some ways, the silence can actually help nurture the conversation. But if you're on a Zoom call and all you see is the face, now all you see is the face staring into the camera. Now, is this person's, I mean, did their connection just freeze? Uh, did they not hear me? Uh, what's going on? It could simply be the matter that they're taking a moment to think about their response. Now, if you and I were together physically, one of us could probably tell, oh, they're, they're, they're thinking about their response. I can wait a minute. But in an environment where we don't have the same access to the same level of information about the other person, it looks like something that can throw somebody into a sort of small panic, like, oh, no, I just lost a connection. Now what? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that there's two things with that. I think with Zoom, it, it's, it, there's time frames. And so um, people feel more of a time crunch to try and build a connection. Whereas in a face-to-face, -face, you might say you're meeting for a coffee and it can be an hour or it can be five hours. People yep. don't tend to sit on Zoom for so long. So they feel this pressure of time. And on the other hand, too, it's when you know what the face on the other side of that call um, expects in terms of time and energy and uh, attention, then you don't necessarily have to try so hard to fill the gap. So yes, yeah. there's those times where potentially the it's going to freeze. But if you have a sage on the other on the other side, and you know, that's what their face is, sometimes they're going to close their eyes for a minute just to contemplate what's going on. Yeah. And you can know that. But, you know, if you on the other hand, if a warrior closes their eyes, then it's like, okay, you just just stop. You're talking too much. I need you to just uh, ask yeah. me a question or get to the point. So in recognizing the um, who is on the other side, then you can know how much you need to always be verbalizing or, or how much you need to, um, you know, not do that. And yeah. how fast, you know, captivators are fast talkers. They need you to talk fast. Sages are slow talkers. If you're, you know, trying to get a pitch in in 15 minutes because that's all you have and you're blah, 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 then you're going to lose them. So, and you would do that. You would lose them face to face as well if you were a fast talker. So oh, yeah. it's, it's about learning who you are and what your stance is and then how to adjust it for that other person um, regardless of when you're online or face to face. But, you know, online you don't have the cues of the rest of the body. So you really have to focus on the face and what it's telling you. Wow, this is really great. And I want to thank you so much for your time here. Um, we are near the end of it. So I wanted to turn the stage over to you one more minute. I imagine some of our listeners at this point are really leaning in, wanting to delve deeper into this FAST method and the areas of facial intelligence and facial acuity, especially in this environment where we have other forms of sensory deprivation, it could be interrupting the conversation flow. So uh, I think you have something for our listeners too, I think you mentioned earlier. So why don't you tell us about that and then uh, what people can expect when they contact you. Absolutely. So uh, you can go to michellebutt.com slash fast guide and get access to the guide that we have that gives you an introduction to facial acuity and how it can be helpful in your sales process. And from there, if you feel resonant with it, then we can always book a strategy call and talk about how to add this to your sales repertoire in order to um, 
boost your skills and, and improve your revenue from sales calls. Well, I really love this. So uh, I want to thank you so much, uh, Michelle Budd, uh, for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. I look forward to more. Oh, thank you so much. It was great to be here. All right. For our listeners, I trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.